0: Hello, and welcome back to this very special series of the CEO.digital show. My name is Todd Jordan, and this is the third episode in our series of deep dives into the subject of responsible AI. Today's guest is AI ethicist Uthman Ali. Beginning his career as an undergraduate in law, Uthman quickly found himself drawn to the philosophical aspects of robotics and ethics. After completing a master's in AI ethics and taking on roles in both fintech and engineering, Uthman's core fascination regards transhumanism, examining what it means to be a human being in the age of machines. Holding both imagination and excitement for tech in balance with a healthy dose of caution, Uthman's experience makes him the ideal guest to talk to us about responsible AI today. And so, without further delay, I would like to say Uthman, Thank you for joining us and welcome to the CEO.Digital Show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Really, really great to be here.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you join us. Um, You've got such an interesting background, both uh, in terms of the the various places your career has taken you, but also just your general interests and studies. Um, I'm particularly uh, curious about the combination of law and philosophy in your background. I was wondering if uh, that's given you anything like a unique view on technology use combining those two areas?
1: Yeah, it's funny because with digital ethics it's such a new field, but often you'll find that people that are starting these sorts of teams usually come from a legal background. and when you study the law, you have to be a bit of an all-rounder, right? You've got to understand risk, business acumen, you've got to put a few different things together. But my view sort of on how we apply digital ethics, a lot of it just comes from essentially preserve, fundamental preservation of human rights things like right to privacy right to having a private life family and friends right to life all these sorts of things have been codified with things like human rights law but it's just how do you codify that again and making sure that's appropriately applied when using digital technologies essentially
0: yeah it's a very very interesting area um straight away you've made me think of uh i know in um certain countries around europe i think germany they have the uh um a legally defined right to disappear which has uh, affected a lot of people mm-hmm. online, and 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 how you kind of it goes beyond. Yeah, the
1: right to be yeah, forgotten.
0: Exactly, that's the one. The right to be forgotten, um, which is uh, extreme. That that's had to go into law, but uh, I can imagine that becoming much, much, much more um, commonly sought after for a lot of people as as technology developments continue apace. You know,
1: because mm-hmm. people want to preserve their right to privacy, right? And of course, there's changes across cult- different cultures as well. But fundamentally, that's a lot of what we're doing with digital ethics is looking at sort of what will almost predicting what future legislation would be in this space in the absence of there being one. And there's this misconception that AI is wild west and there's no regulations when it comes to digital tech. But the truth is there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of laws that already exist, like data privacy laws, copyright infringement laws, consumer protection laws, human rights laws. A lot of these things are there. But it's just about making that connection so people can see that AI is related to these things. Because if you mention the word AI to someone and you ask them about risks, they often think of existential risks and ex machina and iRobot and all this sort of stuff, right? But if you say to them something about bias and AI, they're looking at you kind of confused, saying, I just don't see the connection. When you explain things about how bias can infiltrate training data and lead to discriminatory outcomes, they go, oh, okay, actually, I can see how these two are connected. But we already have anti-discrimination laws for these, for these sorts of things. A lot of it is just making that connection to people to go, these things are related. It might seem abstract at first, but when you really understand the risks of AI, you see actually, okay, this is this is what a lot of this field is about.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, all throughout this uh, series of the CEO.Digital show, we're looking at uh, responsible AI and, and what it means to be responsible. Um, I suppose what, what you just touched on there was um, – painting the picture of what irresponsible AI might look like. Um, Who, is there one sort of particular demographic or um, general area of business or society that you think is most at risk from irresponsible AI? When we talk about being responsible, who are we trying to protect?
1: Fundamentally, it actually comes to protecting all of society. And this is why it's such an interesting field that we're in. So if you look at a big AI risk like misinformation, right, it doesn't matter which end of the political spectrum you're on, what your net worth is, who you are in society, everyone in the world can be negatively impacted by this. If misinformation spreads and it impacts elections and all this sort of stuff, it doesn't matter who you are. This is uh, a, such a large-scale issue that we all have to be concerned with this, right? So when you look at these sorts of risks that we face, in terms of you might find that certain people from certain backgrounds and often more marginalized have an increased risk exposure. But there are certain issues that, again, which recently, especially with generative AI, has sort of made this conversation more prominent, where you actually, this is just more of a human being issue, regardless of where you're from or where you live.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, I remember there was a day on the internet where um, all of Twitter seemed to have been fooled by a picture of the Pope in a big puffy jacket that was uh, generated mm-hmm. by AI. And, uh, you know, that was pretty basic stuff. It was pretty frivolous. I, it doesn't seem outside the realms of imagination before, you know, something genuinely, genuinely dangerous starts to get out there that people take as being real.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that this is something that I'm particularly concerned with, right? And I think we all are, right? It's just that, if you have the spread of deep fakes or misinformation to such an extent, it's that erosion of truth and just trust in society of where do you go? What do you believe? How do you know if this is true? And it just sparks a bigger conversation about what it means to be authentic now. If you know that a lot of your content, for example, me speaking on this podcast, eventually I get to a point where I can AI to generate my voice and generate what I would have said, predicting what I, how I would have answered these questions based on my historical data you know how would that the people listening to this feel right now, knowing that I didn't actually put time and effort into doing this? So I just outsourced my thinking to AI.
0: Yeah, I mean um, that's a, a really frightening cost, uh, prospect. Actually, I think for so many business leaders and and companies as a whole. Um, you know, trust and authority is is really the basis for everything they do. Quote, quote, you can have the best product in the world, but if nobody trusts you, if nobody puts their faith in what you're offering, they're never going to find out how good it is. So, um, you know, that trust and that authenticity is so much at the core of making a business work, becoming a success and building an audience over time. So um, it's absolutely vital and uh you know as exciting as the technology is those kinds of threats we really need people to start thinking about them um is there anything that you would say to somebody listening to this podcast who might own a small to medium enterprise um maybe doesn't think they need to hire uh, an ai ethicist or maybe doesn't think they are big enough yet to be worrying about this kind of stuff what would you say to someone like that
1: Well, as a business owner, right, everyone's entitled to their opinion of who they should be hiring and with which roles. But I'd say there's a real commercial benefit to taking AI ethics seriously, because it just makes good business sense. So for example, if you actually understand AI performance risks, like things around data privacy issues, copyright infringement, producing bias to discriminatory outcomes, the black box problems around explainability, you actually understand the products that you're getting and you're understanding the performance limitations you can actually make an informed strategic decision over how and where you're actually going to use AI. So if you have all these risks, you can weigh up, do I actually want to do it for these specific use cases? But also you'll know that, okay, I'm not going to just be hoodwinked by random suppliers. I'll know what I'm actually buying or whether this is right for my company or what I'm trying to do with it. But also if you're uh, in a risk-adverse industry and you're a technology consumer and you're looking to procure a lot of AI, You should be thinking about where am I actually buying stuff from? Where am I registering it? Do I have an inventory of what I'm buying? And actually asking your employees and your staff, do you want this stuff here? Do you know how to use it effectively? Things like generative AI, do you know how to write how to write effective prompts? Are you concerned about things like job displacement? How can I improve your confidence to actually use these technologies so we get the maximum value out of them? So you reduce that sort of anxiety that people feel when it comes to this sort of transformation we're seeing with AI. And that is the key, because ethics, if done correctly, is an enabler for digital transformation. And for every business, that's why you you need to be considering it.
0: You make a great point. Um, I mean, really, it, it sounds to me like... At his, at the very very basic ground floor level. It's um, so much about transparency. Uh, so transparency of when and how AI is being used and when it isn't, both for um, you know employers, both for consumers, uh, both for staff, and and everyone in between. And sort of once you start thinking about that and, and unpicking that as an issue, all of these other start uh, other issues start to start to appear and must be thought about.
1: Yeah, in terms of commercial value, as a business owner. You get faster adoption of the technology if you consider ethics. If you consider ethics by design at the early stages of even building products, you build more inclusive and accessible products that reach a larger market. So why wouldn't you want to do that? They're also building more products that are more robust as well, less likely to fail. I mean, it's just good product development to be considering ethics throughout the life cycle.
0: Yeah, um, and uh, this feels like very, very new for people who are just trying to run a business, an ordinary, what might seem like a harmless business, a software business, something like that, um, to suddenly have to be thinking about well, what's the right thing to do? Because ordinarily, unless you're in some very specific, you know, massive global company, um, you're not used to having to deal with these sorts of uh, issues of major responsibility um so taking it back to responsibility for a moment you kind of touched on this a little bit there but um what what i think we're talking about is who is going to be accountable if something does go wrong so um i'd like to know your thoughts especially from a legal background in terms of well if something does go wrong involving ai on on a grand scale if we have you know our ai big disaster um who is going to be accountable? Is it the people that develop the tools? Is it the people who deploy them? Is it going to be the lawmakers who everyone thinks should be checking this stuff and making sure nothing goes wrong? Who's going to be accountable when the first big major mistake happens?
1: Yeah, the issue of accountability is an interesting one. So when you're looking at legal liabilities, often it depends on the specific AI failure and the use case and the specific facts of the case, right? But it could be the manufacturer, it could be the supplier, it could be the user. So let's say I build like an amazing AI hiring tool or whatever it is, but I give it to my customer and I say, here, it's yours to do what you want with it. And my customer decides to start using it for absolutely everything, even for use cases it was not intended for, and it leads to discriminatory outcomes. That's clearly a liability on behalf of the customer, that they were the ones that didn't follow the guidelines and all that sort of stuff. And they knew that there was foreseeable harm that they were warned about, but they sort of ignored this guidance and it probably led to contractual bre- breach and then you end up with a liability. But even with the emerging AI regulation, this is a big, big talking point is foreseeable harm because with AI ethics, the ethical failure is often the result of unintended consequences. No one really goes out there to go be a bad person or be discriminatory or do all these sorts of things. Just, it just happens because you just never thought about it throughout the technology life cycle. And when you have issues over certain technologies, how AI could be used, it's the idea of like foreseeable harm. But if you sat down, I just really thought it through how people would use this, so how this could go wrong. Was it foreseeable? Could this have actually been prevented? And was it actually negligence on behalf of someone that they basically didn't follow or didn't live up to the obligations of a duty of care?
0: Yeah, um, all of these, the way that this is all used, I just think it needs to be kind of interrogated a little bit by all of us. It, it almost reminds me of some of those experiments you heard about in the 50s or 60s where there was, what was that university one where people thought they were giving lethal electric shocks and because a man in a white coat told them to do it, they, they went ahead and did it.
1: Milgram, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting one. And
0: it, this sort of reminds me in a way... Um, of, of of similar stuff being revealed, so because it, it seems my limited knowledge of AI is that it's um, you know it's able to produce things based on what it's seen before, and sometimes it will those predictions will be accurate, and sometimes they might not. But really, what we need to know is when do we overrule it? When do we step in and say, no, I'm not going to give that electric shock, or no, I'm, I actually will hire this person even though you think that they're not right for the job, or whatever? How do we know when to, over- when to overrule it?
1: Uh, and this is the peculiar- peculiarity about AI. It's the fact that it's autonomous decision-making and making predictions. So it might predict, okay, this is the next word in the sentence, or whatever it is, or this is how you should answer this question, for example. But it's up to you as the person to have your own human judgment, your own unique human judgment, and your own subject matter expertise to determine that, let's say in the use of generative AI or AI chatbots, is the text being produced accurate or inaccurate? Does this need to be fact-checked? If I don't know the answer to it, who do I ask to actually fact-check this before I repost this online, right? You've got to really think these things through. And that's actually where it becomes human ingenuity and creativity and actually human intelligence was even more important with human real expertise because fact-checking and sort of peer-reviewing can become increasingly important skills for the future of work when we get more content that is generated by AI.
0: Yeah, exactly. Fact-checking, which has become a major concern for, I think, a lot of people online lately. Um... Uh, all all across the spectrum, but um, doesn't necessarily seem to be becoming any easier as time goes on, even though we know it's really important.
1: It's hard because even with generative AI tools, it's just the fact that they produce things so brilliantly and so confidently. It's very easy to be hoodwinked because we're all human, right? And we're all like as human beings, we're naturally quite lazy, or maybe it's just me, but you want to get the fastest solution to something. So when you see something looking good, it seems like on on the surface, it seems like it checks out. You'd be tempted just to repost this online or put this in your report or do all that sort of stuff. But it's only when you have to have that discipline to really think it through and go, actually, who do I need to ask about this? I need to, I need to actually fact-check this or peer-review it because there could be something in this of bias or misinformation. And that's, again, where you need a human in the loop. But the key is the human review has to be meaningful. But because of our part being human is that we have automation bias, when we think, see things being produced by machines, we just sort of perceive it to be objective or tr- just trustworthy, right? Because it's a machine, it's mathematical, of course, it's just dealing with facts and figures, it'll be correct. When we know now it's not the case. So you've got to have that discipline to actually fact check everything it's producing.
0: Yeah, the crucial distinction to me seems to be um, down to the data that uh, we train these AI programs on. I mean, on paper, a a machine is uh, unbiased, right? A machine doesn't doesn't love or hate or or have any strong opinions other than what we tell it. The problem is that it's built by humans and it's trained on the human data and it's trained on the way that we behave. And we are messy, biased sometimes stupid, um, imperfect machines. So the more that AI attempts to mimic us, it's just going to reflect those same things back at us, right? Do you <clears> think <throat> we're ever going to get to the point where um, you know these AI tools are truly impartial in ways that, that humanity as a whole isn't?
1: Because I'd argue, like, philosophically, philosophically, we can get into really big debate here about what is true and is it actually ever possible to be impartial, right? But the issue will always have with AI as it stands today is that it will reflect the training data that has been used for training. So historical bias or historical patterns will be reproduced. But one of the ethical risks we face, I often get asked, what's the difference though between a biased human and biased AI if we're all biased? The distinction is that as human beings, we have our own biases and cultural differences and all that sort of stuff. But it can kind of aggregate across the world because we all have our own biases and unique experiences. If I have one AI algorithm, let's say an AI chatbot used across the world, and I train it on a certain biased data, that bias will reach, that same bias against that same group will reach the whole world at once. So the amplification of that harm is huge compared to a human bias where your bias impacts people that are around or in your vicinity or within your sphere of influence.
0: Yeah, um really really interesting and especially as well just because um it doesn't seem like there's any much room for kind of localized nuance or or cultural changes and cultural differences from um one place to another as these tools become more successful whichever major generative ai becomes mm-hmm. becomes the most popular one could well be used everywhere for problems that might be quite different in China than they are say in Kenya or in the UK or you know anywhere right
1: Mm-hmm. So if you look at even like a, an issue such as misinformation, if you're in parts of the world where it's very sensitive politically, the impact of misinformation or discriminatory sort of AI outputs against certain groups can be vastly worse depending on the political climate of where you operate in the world. And it might be the manufacturer of some AI tools because of where they live in the world. They just don't see that harm. So again, for them, it's not foreseeable from within their office or wherever they're working. But when you amplify it out and you actually see the consequences of what they're producing, that is a concern. That if it scales across the world, certain groups across the world will also be more negatively impacted than than others.
0: Yeah, and um, you know history has certain sh- certainly shown that that does tend to be the case. Um, as as this uh, you know technology becomes more of an unstoppable force, and more and more people are using it and hopefully understanding how it can and should be used. Um, Do you see it having a bit of a change in human behavior, Um, you know, in sort of the way that we move through the world, the way that we interact with each other? Is it going to um, end up influencing us rather than us influencing it?
1: Yeah, how AI will sort of change human behavior is a really interesting one, because recently I've had to travel. I normally if I get anxious and I travel, I just speak to a mate or something and I go, okay, like just double check have I have I got everything, what's the list, am I just overthinking it like I normally do? But the last time I did it, I just actually used an AI chatbot to think through okay, what are all the things that I should be doing that I haven't done? And it gave me like a full detailed list of all the things I should be considering from like start to finish. And it was really amazing and it was a perfect it was it was perfect. But if you play this out, and let's say I start doing this for everything else in my personal life, where everyone starts doing this, and we just speak to each other less and less and less, how will that actually influence human behavior? I don't think we really quite know yet. Or imagine you're in a relationship with someone and things aren't going well, and instead of speaking to a counselor or another human being, you're like, let me just see what the AI thinks about our argument we had last night. Let me see what the AI judge feels about this. Or I want to ask him or her about this. How should I ask the AI? And then you sort of get that infiltration of AI within that everyday life and it becomes more pervasive and more personal as opposed to being more about utility and efficiency. And the thing is, it could be really good in certain cases as well, maybe because it's more conversational, people feel more confident, sort of discussing their own personal feelings, and that sort of stuff. But then the dilemma is, where is this data going? And what are you saying exactly? And how is this going to be reused for training when you're disclosing some really personal things?
0: Yeah, it's really, really interesting. I mean, uh, even within my lifetime, um, the human uh, trajectory with technology has just been less and less face-to-face contact with people constantly. You know, I I used to have phone calls with people. Now I don't have phone calls with anyone Mm. ever. Uh, You know, we exchange emails, we exchange WhatsApp messages. Um, That's sort of it. We'll we'll have a Zoom call, we'll have a Teams call, but um, I can't remember the last time my phone rang and I didn't immediately go, oh, well, that's a spammer.
1: It's unusual now, right? Like even when you get a phone call, it's usually like you assume it's something serious or something quite formal because why was it not on social media or something else like whatsapp you know
0: yeah and if it feels like I can so clearly see exactly as you've said this sort of moving in the in that same way um, and it also makes me very concerned from uh, kind of a business standpoint, I suppose i I, I you know are there uh, are there people out there already trying to build um, an AI CEO? And uh, how far away are we from something like that being successful?
1: Yeah, AI CEO is a really interesting one because there's a TV show called Westworld, which did a great job of um, sort of depicting how an algorithm could be used in the boardroom. And there's one scene, that was absolutely amazing. But this is something there's a lot of hype around as well like how can you have an AI be a CEO or a board member and make these strategic decisions? At this current point of time, we're a long way off that. All they'll be able to do is replicate historical patterns and reproduce it in potentially different ways. You can ask it to simulate different board members and that sort of thing too. Again, it will only be good as the data that it's trained on. But over time, this will be an interesting one to see what degrees of authority AI will have over decision-making within certain companies. Because again, if you don't have meaningful human reviews and people fact-checking or understanding, having confidence in their own expertise over an algorithm, you could soon unintentionally lead to decisions in your company being made by by software without humans appropriately having oversight.
0: Yeah, um, and th- that kind of uh, keeps coming back as, a, as a, a core area is that we just need someone in charge to actually sort of check this stuff and make sure that it's working the way it should because otherwise, you know, it's, it's straying into the realms of science fiction, isn't it? And you can you immediately start thinking of the worst possible scenarios. At least I do.
1: And that's why for digital ethics as well, a lot of people are like, how do I get interested in this? Or I'm interested now, but where can I learn more about it? But the truth is, things like science fiction are amazing for learning about digital ethics because they're essentially thought experiments of when we just didn't get digital ethics right when using technology. These are all the ways that it could go wrong. If you look at TV shows like Black Mirror, which does a fantastic example, are showing these are unintended consequences, how things just spiral out of control and it gets worse and worse. But the reason we find them so interesting is because, again, it's the idea of unintended consequences and foreseeable harm but this is how it scales when you just don't consider digital ethics.
0: It's so important, you know, just to, to keep that in mind and think about it. So I'd, I'd love on a, on a slightly more optimistic point of view, um, what can our listeners from small to medium-sized enterprises do now to make sure that they're protecting their business, their clients, their workforce, and their reputation?
1: It's very simple. Just upskill on AI. Learn more about AI, how it works, when to use it, why it's being used so much what use cases are appropriate. And as part of any learning and development program, you might start being interested in it. You might want to give it to your employees. A core component has to be responsible AI, AI ethics, trustworthy AI, whatever you want to call it. You have to understand the performance limitations of the tools, the risks of the tools, before you start encouraging your employees to start using them.
0: Yes, exactly. Especially from a data and privacy point of view, you, you've you've touched on that um, a little bit before about um, I I don't know how many how much the average person understands about how AI is trained on our data and uh, you know to what extent it's learning from us and uh, how much information we're giving away. Is there a risk for someone trying to seek advice on you know an important business decision? Could that potentially lead to a a harmful data leak by even just telling the AI to ask it these questions?
1: Yeah. So if you're using, for, for example, AI chatbots, and the terms of condition says that, you know, your data will be used for retraining, and you copy and paste your spreadsheet into it and say, does this look like a good product? Well, I mean, you've just given away some very confidential information there, and who knows where it's when, how it'll be used for retraining, potentially IP, your ideas could be given to somewhere else, someone else afterwards. So again, as a company, you've got to understand these are risks of using these sorts of tools.
0: Yeah, and it all comes down to the importance of that training. Um, uh, I read online somewhere that ChatGPT is actually getting a little bit dumber as time goes on because it's being trained on things that were mm. produced by ChatGPT. Is there a truth in that? Uh,
1: there, there is some truth in that. There's a term, it might you're, you're, the, the listener's ears might not like it, but someone described it to me as digital incest. So essentially what you have is generative AI tools producing content, which people cut and paste online. Then the AI tools reuse that for training data, its own material, and it keeps spiraling out of control. So it keeps suggesting the same things to other people, which could include misinformation, inaccuracies. And again, it's like this feedback loop. It's almost like you're tying a knot, and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter because people keep reusing the same same rehash stuff over and over again. So one of the issues that with generative AI or just AI tools, it can get dumber over time. But also I'd counter that I think as human beings we're getting smarter because when things like ChatGPT first came out, the revolution was really the interface and design. Aside from the architecture transformer models, it was just how slick it looked and how it just seemed like a regular search engine but seemingly knew everything. But over time, people got more educated and the okay, these are risks like misinformation and inaccuracies, particularly with things like math, with mathematics, that now it's become, okay, you know, I have to be wary of using this. I can't just blindly trust it. So over the time, because you're naturally seeking out inaccuracies and misinformation, you're identifying it. So these risks were here all along. I'd argue that we're actually just getting smarter now in our society and we're actually aware that we need
0: to be on the lookout for this sort of stuff. I love that as a positive note because I think you're right. We are, um, you know, this is this is liberating technology that can truly help uh, help us to spend more time thinking about the important problems, and um, you know, finally hand over some of the um, more difficult but laborious thinking to these algorithms to the systems, which will allow us to uh, obviously keep a watchful eye on them, but also to spend more time thinking about where we need to break from tradition, where we need to overrule the AI, not produce what we've seen before, take some take some leaps of inspiration. You know, that's what we're here for, the fun stuff, right? Let the AI figure out the, you know, the 10 best restaurants in a city for me.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because this was, you know, the the sales pitch for AI was always, they'll do the dull, dirty, dangerous jobs. Then all of a sudden, we're generative is producing movie scripts and images and music and all the creatives sort of turned to me and said, I thought you said this will do the boring things, but now it looks like it does the fun things. To which you go, oh, okay, maybe <laughs> maybe it can do some other stuff too. But the interesting thing is is that even when you look at AI, how it can be used for creativity, the, again, like, I like how you use that phrase, like, the liberating thing is that these creativity tools are great for everyone but they're exceptional for people who are also creative. So if you're a creative person, you can find some really remarkable ways to use things like generative AI. And there's this new, hus- uh, this new um, subculture called Hustle GPT, which is essentially these teenagers around the world which are finding really unique ways to use them for like small business ideas. And again, it was just really empowering, the idea that it's something new, where again, you kind of feel like you're starting from a blank slate and you can have, someone who's 16 or 17 goes i have just got a really good idea of how i can use this thing they might know a little bit of how ai works but they go actually, actually i'm quite creative i can come up with some cool ideas using this and that democratization of just even access to uh to ai it's that that's where you get the real beautiful outcomes of it
0: that's fantastic yeah that sounds so cool i was going to ask you actually is there anything really exciting happening with ai now that um you know, it's gotten you really, really excited, but that hasn't yet hit the mainstream consciousness. Any kind of scoops you'd like to break for us on the episode here?
1: Well, there are a few that come to mind. Uh, One of them is something I specialized in was the ethics of brain-computer interfaces and neurotechnologies. It's a really interesting technology from an ethical perspective because of how it can transform society. So, for example, you could have BCIs, which are invasive, which are essentially implants within your brain that could potentially end certain forms of paralysis. I mean, certain technologies have been shown to be able to do this. And it's really amazing for the society, but then you have dilemmas of who gets access to this first. But if you take the next step further, again, when you play it out, it's why do you have to stop at just ending paralysis? Why not, can't use these technologies for enhancement? There's one company I spoke to recently. Very interesting because they made essentially robotic limbs for amputees. And it's truly brilliant what they've done because the robotic arms have given touch sensitivity back to amputees so they can feel again. But it's truly inspirational. And the guy that's doing it is actually making them affordable as well because he wants the whole world to be able to have access to this technology. But the dilemma you sort of have is that where do you draw the line if you have now a robotic arm that's super robust, almost something out of like a comic book movie, Where does this go next? And who has the right to tell you that you can stop augmenting yourself? So if you look at technologies like BCIs, companies like Neuralink, one of the things they're looking at is this augmentation. The idea that you can sort of have telepathy or superhuman-like abilities, right, with with using these these sorts of transhumanist technologies. But where do we draw the line? And at what point do you have to start asking questions over what does it really mean to be human anymore? if you augment yourself to such an extent. And again, going back to human rights law, a lot of this human rights legislation was based on this sort of universal understanding of what it means to be human when it comes to human rights. But if that definition is changing over time, what else needs to change with it?
0: You've blown my mind already. Um, You know, how human does somebody need to be in order to have the same rights as a human if i take out 90 percent of myself and i'm just a brain in a jar do i have the same rights as, as everybody else i'd like to think so but what about if i'm a brain inside a giant tank that can shoot missiles and can you know is an unstoppable killing machine do i still have rights then i don't know it's terrifying
1: it goes back to the ship of theseus parable so essentially you have a ship that's sailing and then over time, you keep taking out one block of wood for another. And this goes on for so much time until eventually every single bit of the ship was completely replaced. Then was that ship even Theseus in the end, or do we call it something else? And that's, it, again, with these new technologies, when we need to be having these conversations early. We don't want to leave it too late and ask, what, where should we be drawing the line? How do we do this? Now, there are groups around the world that are actively looking at this and being very proactive. But these are the sorts of trends we're going to see over the next five to 10
0: years. Can't wait to see where it goes. Um, thank you very much, Uthman. That's nearly the end of our time. Um, just before we go, uh, if there's anyone listening to this that would like to learn more about how they can become their own AI ethicist for their own organization, do you have any recommendations for further reading, any, any books, websites, any uh, documentaries, anything you would like to point people to?
1: I, I would love to recommend books but let's be honest, we're in the TikTok generation where our attention span can't go beyond six seconds anymore. <laughs> so so as as a caveat to that, I could offer a few documentaries, which I think everyone would love, that you can probably watch with your family and friends as well. The Social Dilemma, Digital Ethics Classic, amazing documentary looking at social media companies. But another one which was absolutely amazing is Coded Bias by Dr. Joy Bulamwini from MIT. Amazing documentary looking at the issues specifically around bias and technology if you watch those two you're off to a really good start to understanding this field and you don't have to read anything which is which is a bonus these days
0: i'll um i'll just get ChatGPT to summarize it for me yeah (laughs) um fantastic thank you so much uh is there anything else that you'd like to add
1: uh i would say this to anyone listening to this ai ethics is a really interesting field and it can be very confusing to navigate because you're turning on the news, and there's this existential risk and rogue AI. And if you're a business owner, you're like, "Where do I start? This thing seems impossible." Just remember, if you're looking at this purely commercially, you should be looking at what you can control or what your company is actually doing with AI. To start considering AI ethics in a commercial setting, start simply looking at what are you doing with AI, what's your AI strategy, do you have responsible AI within that strategy to What's your plan for using this technology? And really just think it through and narrow down your risks. And your risks will naturally, the three big ones will often be things like privacy, bias, or explainability. Create guidelines, you know, have policies and procedures in your company to deal with this sort of stuff, and proactively look at emerging regulation.
0: I love knowing that there's people like you out there thinking about this kind and of stuff. And we need more of us.
1: <laughs> and we need more of us, which is why if you could start upskilling your staff to start doing it, that would be great.
0: We'll start right now. Thank you so much, Uthman. It's been wonderful having you on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. really, really enjoyed this.
0: Thanks again to Uthman Ali for his time and enthusiasm as we explore the ethical conundrums at play when trying to use AI in a more responsible manner. If you enjoyed this episode, please do like and subscribe to the feed wherever you get your podcasts and keep an eye out for more coming up very soon. Thanks for listening.